This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. This episode is proudly brought to you by CBIA Lawyers Financial. Visit lawyersfinancial.ca to learn about exclusive financial solutions to help you build and protect wealth. Welcome to The Every Lawyer, a Canadian Bar Association podcast. I'm your host, Marlise Silver-Sweeney. Is there a moment in your career that completely changed its trajectory? Did you know it at the time? Or was it only looking back you realized how monumental that decision was? Today's episode of The Every Lawyer asks our guests to reflect on a major career milestone and decide if and how it changed their legal practices. It's our last episode focusing on the Young Lawyers International Program, funded by Global Affairs Canada. And we're talking to alumni of the program, both recent and longer term. So buckle up your seatbelts and put your chairs into the upright position for the final time as we descend into our final journey. Our first stop is with Laura McLean in Ottawa. She's currently a staff lawyer at La Clinique Juridique Francophone d'Ottawa, where she focuses on immigration files. She interned in Durban, South Africa, working for Lawyers for Human Rights in the Refugee and Migrant Rights Program. Laura, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's my pleasure. I wanted to start with the work that you were actually doing at your internship um, at Lawyers for Human Rights in Durban. Durban, sorry, South Africa. Will you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? Yeah, sure. So um, in Durban, Lawyers for Human Rights runs a migrant, refugee and migrant right program. Um, so I was worked as a, a legal uh, caseworker, mm-hmm. uh, which meant that I was interviewing clients um, uh, most, most of the time uh, reviewing the decisions that had come from their refugee claims, which they made on their own, okay. um, and then ass- assessing their needs and uh, often writing uh, appeal arguments for them. Wow. So it sounds like you were right in there, a lot of client-facing and a lot of you know actual hands-on legal work. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was everyday meeting with clients uh, and and coming up with legal arguments, doing legal research for them, uh, looking into country conditions to include in their appeals. Um, yeah, so it was it was definitely very hands on. And the office, uh, I think we were about a staff of seven. Um, okay. uh, so um the interns are expected to to carry a full caseload on their own and wow. be able to work uh, autonomously. Yeah. And how long did it take you to familiarize yourself with the refugee law of South Africa? Uh, it didn't actually take that long. Um, oh, okay. The uh, the Refugees Act is in, in South Africa. It's not a, uh, a massive piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, the the re- Refugee definitions uh, across the countries resemble more or less. They share the same wording, the same ideas, because it's a definition that comes from uh, from international law. So, um, so it, so that in that respect, it didn't take me that long to um, to become acquainted with refugee law uh, in in South Africa. Okay, so a lot of full on client facing legal research, case work. How did that differ from the work that you were doing before you left? And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were articling at Community Legal Services of Ottawa. 
Yes, that's correct. Okay. To be honest, um, I found legal clinic work in South Africa and Canada to be quite similar. Okay. Um, I mean, you're it's in it's similar in the sense that you're working with a clientele who um, are low income, uh, are vulnerable. Um, a lot of them might have mental health issues or have experienced uh, sexual based violence. So, um, uh, so in that sense, it's it's very similar engaging with clients. Of Since course, a yeah. lot of our clients um, uh, have these vulnerabilities, uh, you know, say Canada, South Africa, you always bring this trauma informed approach when engaging mm. with clients. Okay. So in that respect, it was the same. Okay. Um, and uh, I think, and another similarity is the fact that um, a lot of times when you're working in legal clinic context, again, be it in Canada or South Africa, clients will have um, multiple issues. Legal issues have this tendency of of compounding on each other. Mm-hmm. So someone will come and they'll need, um, you know, their main question is about their immigration status. You know, can I stay in the country? But they'll also have questions about, you know, I, I have children. Can I enroll them in school? Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I I need to see a doctor. Um, I've been refused at the hospital because I don't have immigration status. Uh, what can I do? So, so we were also responding to those other questions as well. Okay. So it sounds like your work articling before you left for South Africa and then your work in Durban were actually quite complementary of one another. It was. I honestly found it to be a very smooth transition. And now let's talk a bit, actually, is exactly the word I wanted to use, uh, your transition home. Okay, you've been back in Canada for a quarter, um, and you are working at La Clinique Juridique Francophone d'Ottawa. Is that correct? Yes, just be wrapping up two months. Great. So that's good timing for us to reflect a bit. Is it um, similar to the internship in Durban, or is it quite a bit different? I mean, again, it's it's an since it's another legal clinic, it feels right. similar in the sense that, you know, um, again, it's clients who uh, I work I'm working right now as a, an immigration lawyer. So again, clients with uh, precarious immigration statuses. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, and I guess the big a big difference between uh, legal clinic work um, in Canada and or in Ontario, at least, and and South Africa is that uh, the legal clinics up until recently, at least, haven't had to to do that as much work in uh, in refugee law. Uh, in because, Canada, is that what you're saying? Uh, well, in, in, in Ontario, okay. Legal Aid Ontario had uh, a system where certificates would be issued so clients could go to a private bar lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um Right. and and get and get help that's um as you might know that has changed mm-hmm. recently so maybe the clinics will be taking on more refugee work so um you know f- facing these changes I, I am glad that I have a bit more experience specifically with with the immigration or sorry the the refugee side of law um because I I have I have worked in Canada this thus far I've worked m- more in on the immigration side okay so some actual like black letter law skills that you gained uh, in South Africa that you've transferred back to Canada. Yes. And um, one thing that sort of surprised me was, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the definition of refugee is similar throughout countries. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But um, one thing I didn't expect was in South Africa, they actually looked to Canadian law, uh, oh. Canadian refugee law, for to when they're sort of, um, you know, developing mm-hmm. uh, interpretations. Right. So, um, so it would not be uncommon for me to be reading a South African decision on an on an, a refugee law issue and see them do a sort of a comparative law analysis, looking at other countries. And Canada was usually one of the first they'd look to. Um, and so just, just anecdotally, this one time, my mm. Department of Home Affairs officer had come back with a negative decision, and they had misapplied a test, and that mm-hmm. test happened to be Canadian. And so oh. I feel like there was this, I had this advantage of saying, well, I, I actually know this case, and that is not at all what, mm-hmm. that, that they've sort of just cherry-picked what they wanted to get right. to, in order to issue this negative decision. So I feel like it made a stronger appeal that we were able to say, well, you know, South Africa has ad- adopted, it has adopted this, um, um, this test that was developed in Canada and the mm-hmm. test in Canada is supposed to be applied this way. That's fascinating. Really, really interesting. I had no idea actually. So thank you. Learning new things. Uh, so it sounds like you're, now that you're back in Canada, you're practicing in a similar area that you were working on during your internship. Uh, was this based on experiences that you had in your internship? Do you feel like it's changed the trajectory of your career in any way? I don't feel like it's changed the trajectory um, because I, I always wanted to work in, in legal clinics, okay. but it's definitely reinforced it. Yeah, okay. it definitely definitely confirmed that that I was on the right path for myself um, and that this, is, this was the the career path that I wanted. Um, okay. But I feel like the, the experience has inspired me to, to want to work, live, uh, or study uh, abroad mm. again in the future. Okay. And what about the, um, the lens of immigration law? Were you working in immigrate, doing immigration um, law at community legal services, or is that a post- I was doing a mix, yeah. I okay. was doing immigration and uh, and housing. What's the biggest skill that you learned in South Africa that you now use in your practice? So you talked a bit about actually picking up some um, legal frameworks and research in South Africa that you can actually employ in Canadian law, which is really cool. But is there any one skill that you learned over on your internship that you learned or developed or honed uh, that you actually apply now in your legal practice? I think the the, the biggest thing for me is uh, is the confidence that I got from from working at Lawyers for Human Rights. Okay. Um, I mean, that's it, it's not a skill per se, but no, I, uh, I feel like that that it was. I think it was really important because I had just finished articling, and mm-hmm. when you're an articling student, you know, you always have you can go to your principal with any questions. You know, the, your work is always reviewed by by a fellow lawyer before it's sent out. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're called to the bar, all of a sudden, you know, you're you're a lawyer on your own now. And I right. feel like that can that can be pretty, pretty scary, pretty intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Terrifying. Yes. Yeah. So um, so going to Lawyers for Human Rights, you know, I started off sort of in the same um, sort of same mind frame, you know, I'd draft an appeal, I'd take it to my supervisor, say, you know, what do you think? Is this good to go? And then after a few weeks, they were like, you know, 
you don't need to come to me with this anymore. Like you, mm-hmm. you're, you're a legal caseworker. You can, you can do it. You can just send it on your own. So sort of taking that plunge and sort of mm-hmm. b- believing in your own abilities was that's, I think that was huge for me. Right. And good for you. I think, you know, eventually you have to take that plunge in Canada after articling, but the fact that you were in a foreign country with a different legal system makes it even more brave and probably developed your confidence maybe at a faster pace too. So good for you. Yeah. And I guess I, one other thing I, I could add was, um, uh, again, maybe not a skill, but sort of a, a situation that I just don't think that you would encounter in mm-hmm. Canada we didn't have a photocopier or a scanner oh, for wow. four weeks yeah so you know as anyone who works in a law office knows not having a photocopy or a scanner is it's devastating you need that right. to do your work um so you know had that happened in a uh, in a Canadian legal clinic you know I'm sure a repair person would have been sent out within a few days mm-hmm. um but we had to you know we had to get a little bit creative. Right. And I'm sure that resourcefulness will serve you well working uh, particularly with, you know, when you don't have a lot of resources in Canadian clinics. So we talked about the positives. Do you feel like this experience set you back at all in your career? No, I, I don't. I don't think it did. Like, I, as I mentioned, the the confidence that I gained from this and mm-hmm. um, it, no, I don't feel that this opportunity has set me back at all. Um, I mean, for in people in my situation, um, I did have to sort of put working as a lawyer in Canada on the back burner to be able to take this opportunity. Right. Um, but I think, I think, as I mentioned, it built a lot of confidence that I need moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it will open doors uh, if I decide to work internationally again. Right. Um, so and so I, I think I don't think it that it has uh, that it has delayed me in any way. So my last question for you is I see that you've sat on uh, in on some interview panels for uh, other YLIP interns who want to go abroad. Do you have any advice for prospective applicants who could be listening today? Yeah. So my advice to those who might be applying to YLIP are before the interview is to sort of take a moment and reflect on on larger issues in human rights in development um, and think about how they how they interrelate how how they intersect um, and and what you think issues are sort of globally the interview wants to know how what you think about sort of these big picture issues um, so I think a lot of people, um, I think a lot of candidates focus on, you know, reviewing their CV, practicing those, you know, why would you be interested? Why would you be good? What are your strengths and weakness type questions without sort of sitting back and thinking, you know, um, what is development? Uh, what is access to justice? And, mm-hmm. you know, what do I think the issues are and how how can I how do I think I fit into all of it? Right. So some great advice. In law school, at least for me personally, I was very trained in answering those questions that you just talked about. The, um, you know, why, how do I fit in? What do I bring to this? But maybe for applicants of YLIP, actually getting a little bit broader and looking at the more global issues and thinking about how you fit into them. Would that be fair to summarize? 
Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to summarize it. And um, that's something from my understanding, that's something that the CBA and, and the YLIP organizers specifically are looking for. You know, they're looking for someone who who's going to think about how their presence and their contributions as someone coming from Canada uh, mm. might be probably you know thinking sort of thinking critically uh and you know thinking about how to engage in this work how to advance human rights without you know being this sort of neo-colonializer basically right okay so that's some excellent advice well Laura thank you so much for your time with me today it was great to chat with you and best of luck in your future path after the break. It was a bit harder to, to come back, uh, I found, than it was to go there. It was a bit more challenging. Today's tip of the day is brought to you by CBIA Lawyers Financial. Effective networking is an important skill for all lawyers, but especially for solo practitioners. Being on your own can be isolating at times, and it's important to have a network of people you can call on to share ideas or ask for advice. Building a network will also help position you in your community as the go-to person for a specific skill or practice area. This can help lead to business development opportunities. The more people know what value you bring, the more they can refer you. Networking isn't just about meeting as many people as possible. It's about meeting the right people, maintaining contact, and cultivating relationships. Networking is a two-way street. The more value you give to your network, the more value you will receive in return. Lawyers Financial has interviewed a number of solo lawyers to discuss the benefits and challenges of this career choice. Through videos, they talk about freedom, the challenges of running a business, and the need to network. To learn more, visit lawyersfinancial.ca slash blog and filter articles for sole practitioners. Our next guest is Mathieu Delorme, also in Ottawa. He's currently a labor lawyer for a public service union, and he went to Grahamstown, South Africa in 2011 to intern at the Legal Resources Centre there. So, Mathieu, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, you have quite a bit of distance now from your internship experience, but I wanted to revisit it. Can you tell me a bit about the type of work you were doing at the Legal Resources Centre? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it was quite interesting and um, quite diversified, too, as well. Um, it, it was a small outfit. There was uh, two, maybe three full-time lawyers, and uh, we were just basically thrown into the mix. <laughs> they didn't have any offices for us, so we worked out of the uh, office library. Okay. Um, I was with a colleague who was also a member of the uh, YLIP program. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we did everything from uh, some of the intake to meeting with people to do some uh, some legal education. We did some side visits to uh, establish whether the government was following through court orders and things like that. Um, I drafted a lot of things as well. Uh, it was very diversified, quite rewarding. And yeah. I bet. I was actually just going to ask you, what types of legal issues were you seeing there? So the Legal Resources Center in Grahamstown, or well, McKenda now I think is, is called, was mainly uh, doing things with respect to legal education at the time I was there. But um, I would also touch on children's rights, housing rights. We did a bit of banking stuff for mm-hmm. because at the time they were trying to establish a, a class action against banks that were... Um, seizing homes inappropriately, so things like that. Uh, most of them were uh, related to constitutional issues because of the nature of the um, 
Legal Resources Center's uh, mission. What was the transition back to Canada like for you? Do you remember it at all? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a bit harder, I think, on my end than it was for for my colleagues for a variety of reasons. Some of them were personal, some of them were professional. Um, it's a reverse culture shock, I think. And I think you just realize at one point that life moved on, right? And while you were not there, people still had a life. Your friends kept seeing each other. Some got married, some had kids. And right. you come back and you have all these interesting stories, which in your head are, you know... <laughs> I don't want to say better, but no. <laughs> they're different. And, mm-hmm. you know, to you, like, this is that was a very important part of my life, which mm-hmm. I, I very much enjoyed and would recommend it to everybody. So when I came back, obviously, I was excited. And your friends are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what you did. That's what you did. And after 20 minutes, like, oh, well, you know, I got a promotion last year. And like, yeah, that's great. But then you want to start talking about things again. And um, but, yeah, like, people moved on. So it was a bit. It was a bit harder to, to come back, uh, I found, than it was to go there. It was a bit more challenging. Uh, and despite all the warnings that we were given by the program, I don't know if it was willful ignorance on my part or not, but yeah, it's just something that I, I did not see coming, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly struggled with for for a short while. Yeah, it's an interesting observation about the fact that, you know, socially things go on, but you know, you've had this really rich experience, both professionally and I'm sure socially as well. And um outside of your your connections right there's a lot to share and and how open people are to hearing it too interesting career-wise did you feel how did you think it affected your career and I'm going to ask you to reflect a bit later on um you know if it changed the scope of your career at all but were there negative ramifications at all for being away uh, from Canada for that long or was it totally fine no I don't think there were any negative um uh, outcomes out of it. Um, if anything, um, it was a good conversation starter, right? In an right. interview, you all, whenever you said, oh, when I was in South Africa, I did something similar to this, it caught people's attention. And, um, and I, I, I think it's also how you, you sell it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there were definitely some things that I brought back, both personally and professionally, that I still use today. And as long as you're able to to explain to people how it can fit into their professional environment, their company or, or law firm or wherever it is you're trying to go. Uh, I definitely think it's an asset to have. And what would you tell, that's really interesting what you say about selling it. And I, I totally agree. You know, things are all how you package them to prospective employers. What would you tell other YLIP interns to focus on when talking about it, the experience in an interview? I think it all depends on um, what your experience was, what you work with, right? So, for instance, I had a very uh, laissez-faire, not myself, sorry, my my supervisor that had a very laissez-faire approach, right? Mm-hmm. Just if you want to find a project, find it, take it, and run with it. Um, well, I mean, that translates well here for you know working independently with little supervision and, and something like that, right? Then they, you come into... Um, cross-cultural exchanges and how to deal with someone that has a different set of professional values as you do. For instance, um, timeliness for me was something, I think that was the first uh, um, kick in the face that that I got. Then I remember one of the first week or two I was there, and this is going to sound 
um, I'm going to sound idiotic here when I say this, but I remember talking to my boss and be like, man, this is the third time I set up a meeting with this person. And the first two times they didn't show up. And the third time they were five hours late. I was genuinely annoyed, right? Mm-hmm. Because here that's something that would never happen, right? You can right. miss a meeting once and then you call and apologize profusely and it never happens again. And you you better have a good reason. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I transported those expectations, I guess, to to my placement mm-hmm. and my boss just looked at me and was like, well, Matt, this person probably does not have a car, has to hitchhike 15, mm-hmm. 20K most likely. Um, they probably, no, they probably, that specific person lived in an area, lived in a house that did not have running water. So they had to get up extremely early to get in line, to go to a communal shower. Anyway, and she went on and on and on about this. And it's the kind of things you don't necessarily expect or Im- imagine or things that would, would not necessarily happen here that you don't necessarily expect either because you've never encountered this type of situation before. So, yeah, you just have to learn how to, to deal with this or just respect, right? Like if you're in a full uh, a village and you're doing uh, legal education, for, for example, well, there's an order of who needs to be greeted first and how you talk to people and how you address people depending on their age or their position in the village and, and things like that. Um, those are all things that you can bring back to your workplace, right? Obviously, you might not necessarily speak with a village chief in your workplace, but mm. just to be able to recognize that you know, if you work with an elderly person who is from a different culture, well, they might expect different things from you. And that might explain why you have a difficulty in communicating with them. Right. So some real tangible cross-cultural uh, business skills you picked up. Yeah, definitely. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're about seven years out from leaving Grahamstown. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Looking back then over the course of the last seven years, how would you say the experience shaped your legal career or did it? I think it did so in very small but important ways. Okay. Um, I have some colleagues that after the... Uh, the internship found a position with uh, the UN. Some others found positions with um, other international organization. I I chose to stay in Ottawa mm-hmm. for for personal reasons. So I, it did not necessarily have an impact on where I ended up in international law, for instance, because my background's in international law. Okay, but it did it did definitely have uh, an impact on how I. How can I say this? Uh, how I interact with my clients, how I interact mm-hmm. with my colleagues. Uh, it comes back to, again, the example as I gave earlier, like the, the cross-cultural one or um, different expectations I might have of people. Giving an example earlier, le- giving legal education in front of a village when a lot of them, not most of them, did not have French or English as a first, second or third language. So you have to, to become a bit more resourceful to get your message across. Mm-hmm. So th- those are all little things that ha- have shaped me and um, that I rely on, I would say, whether consciously or unconsciously on a regular basis. I would also say that uh, when I came back, I, I had an idea of what type of law I wanted to practice, but it was still, uh, I still had options uh, elsewhere, but it definitely... Mm-hmm solidified the social justice aspect of uh, my practice or the career path I chose to follow afterwards. Okay, so it it even affected the actual type of law you practice to this day? Uh, I would say so. I mean, instead of coming 
coming back, sorry, and had I not gone, I could have chosen a different path in law that would have had nothing to do with social justice. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I always had a uh, an interest in social justice. Right. And most of my course uh, load in law school, and if you look at my my schooling, uh, obviously there would have been a heavy leaning towards it, but it definitely solidified it as uh, as I left South Africa. Okay. And so it's hard retrospectively to look back and decide yeah. <laughs> what experience, you know, led to this decision. Pinpoint X, you know. So, yeah. I mean, it definitely had a major impact. Okay. So major impact. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Looking back, would you do it again? Oh, of course. Uh, of course, I yeah, met some people that I will be friends with for the rest of my life, whether they were uh, fellow program participants or people that went there. It was an extraordinary experience, both in the professional and personal point of view. Um, and it, it allowed me to I, see the world in a different way, as cheesy as this sounds. And I, I would wholeheartedly support everyone to apply for the program and I, I've been doing so for all of my my friends afterwards although I'm starting to age out with the uh, <laughs> eligibility requirement right <laughs> next it will be mentees that you'll push yeah into exactly the <laughs> um so you gave us some really valuable feedback already for prospective applicants or also people who are just coming back from the program about how to not sell necessarily but package this experience in a job interview what else would you tell prospective applicants to the program? What would you tell them to think about before leaving, to do during, and to reflect on when they come home? Uh, before leaving, I'd say do it for the right reasons. Um, if if you're trying to go because you think it'll look good on your resume, you will be miserable for the whole nine or ten months that you're going to be there. Um just do it for the right reason. Make sure you're leaving for the right reason. Make sure that um, you're going somewhere that you will enjoy the work that mm -hmm. you're going to do. And I mean, while you're there, just embrace it. Just go with the flow and you know, don't say no. Whether you know you meet someone, I mean, obviously you have to think, think about your safety and your security. But you know, if someone says you know. A colleague says we're going to the theater tonight, go. If we're going to a party tonight, go. If you're meeting someone in the community uh, because there's something happening on a Saturday afternoon, just just go. Um, if your boss is asking you to draft something you've never worked on before, just, just go. Do it because, um, well, one, they expect that you might not necessarily be able to do everything because there are differences. Although it's a similar legal system, there are differences. Mm -hmm. But... Um, they know that they're not hiring a 10-year call here, right? right. Um, just enjoy what you're doing, learn, soak it in, and um, benefit from it as much as you can. Okay, great. And then what you said earlier, when you come home, be prepared to that your, you know, your friends and career might have moved on in a different way. Yeah, no, be prepared. Um, yeah, be prepared. Uh, I, I, I think that would be the best way to summarize it. But what does that mean? While you're on your program, when there's a don't wait for the week before to say, oh, you know, I should start preparing my return. I think those are things that you should look into before you should start. If your goal is to come back to Canada and work and you know where you're going, start 
you know, sending out feelers to your contact for for a, a position somewhere that may be um, uh, something you'd be interested in, even if it's just transitionary. Um, prepare your departure there, right? Like you mm-hmm. have made friends, you've made connections there for the past nine months. You can't just leave on a whim and expect everything to be to be great, right? Um, I think to a certain extent you have to you have to mourn, right? Because you're you're changing your lifestyle, you're uprooting yourself for a second time in in ten months. Uh, and coming back, um, very few people, I'd say or at least in my circle, very few people knew what I was going through, which uh, may have been also one of the problem and I didn't seek help and, and things like that. So if if nobody in your circle of friends have experienced something like this before, um, ask for help. Ask there's people at the CBA that are taking care of a program mm-hmm. that have resources for you, and be sure to not, I guess, suffer in silence would be the the best way to describe it. Right, and I think that's really sage advice for us as we end. This is actually our fourth episode um, focusing on the Young Lawyer International Program. We did a whole episode on you know preparing to mm-hmm. be there and what it's like when you're there but I think it's really nice to end with that wise advice about you have to prepare to leave in the same way that you need to prepare to go yeah because I mean on my end and I don't know if the timeline changed all that much here but I think I had two and a half months after I accepted the the offer and before I left maybe a bit less mm-hmm. and that's, that's all I did for two months, right? I, I got ready. I spoke with a supervisor. She sent me some things to do and things to look at and how to get ready and the style, you know, for two months, that's, that's all you do, right? You get ready to, you get ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then when you come back, it's not like that, right? Nobody, nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants to put any thought to it because I think it's human nature, right? Like it's something that's again, bad and using air quotes here and, you know, I'll deal with it later. And, uh, it hits you in the face at one point if you don't deal with it. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. We're so lucky that even seven years out of the program, you're still giving back and sharing advice with future applicants and with us. So thank you for your time. Well, my pleasure. And uh, thanks again for having me. That's our podcast for today. And it's also the last in the series focusing on the Young Lawyers International Program. I hope you've enjoyed venturing out to Serbia, South Africa, Kyrgyzstan, and beyond. I'd love to hear about your experiences, whether travel or otherwise, that have significantly altered the trajectory of your careers. Tweet to us at CBA underscore news, or you can reach me at my handle at SS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We also have a podcast in French called Juriste Blanchet. If you're interested in the Young Lawyers International Program, tweet to us or visit our website to find out more. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Every Lawyer and let us know which topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks for listening. 